0: Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hi, everyone. Tom Salemi here. Welcome back to the OIS Podcast. Before I get into this week's episode, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Santin. Santin is a global ophthalmology company that specializes in the research, development, and commercialization of pharmaceutical, surgical, and over-the-counter eye care products. With over 3,400 employees in its worldwide headquarters in Japan, Santin continues to provide innovative solutions into glaucoma, retina, uveitis, dry eye, ocular allergy, and infection to patients around the world. Now let's get into this week's podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Faras Rahal. He is the founding partner of Excite Capital, which is an impact investing firm that is uh, putting money behind very early stage ophthalmology investments. It's doing diagnostics, it's doing drugs, may do some devices as well. And it's uh, one of those firms that brings a little capital, which is necessary for a smaller, a smaller venture, but a whole lot of know-how. Uh, Dr. Rahal is also a senior partner at Retina Vitreous Associates Medical Group in LA. He was already plenty busy when the opportunity to join and help create Excite came along, and he decided it would be a great experience for him and his practice to understand the innovation side of the business. So had a very nice conversation with him at OIS and ASRS in Boston. He was on our Seed Stage panel, which uh, was a big hit, and we've had a few of the panelists on the podcast. So for those entrepreneurs in early-stage ventures looking for capital, uh, there is good news. There are firms out there that are investing in early-stage companies, and Excite Capital is certainly one of them. Uh, they've had some, some great success one of their earlier portfolio companies was RetroSense, which was acquired by Allergan last year, so so they do know what they're doing. So we'll get into this conversation, but before I let you go, I do want to tell you that the discount rates for OIS at AAO is, are expiring on October 9th, so you need to register before October 9th to uh, save a little bit of money when you sign up to attend OIS at AAO. I'm sure you're going to attend, so why don't you sign up now and uh, keep a little money in your pocket. The event, of course, is November 9th in New Orleans. Go to ois.net to register. Now let's get, now let's get into this conversation with Dr. Faraz Rahal of Excite Capital. All right, this is Tom Salemi. We're here at OIS at ASRS. I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Faraz Rahal, a partner at Excite which is an impact investing group, and you're on our seed stage panel. And I wanted to learn more about Excite. But first, tell me about yourself. How did you find your way into, into ophthalmology? So um,
1: I've been an ophthalmologist uh, since finishing residency in 1994 and then fellowship for vitreo-retinal surgery in 1996. And uh, I think it was probably early in medical school that I decided on ophthalmology. There were a number of reasons. I like uh, high-tech surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ophthalmology has plenty of that. And the, some of the other high-tech uh, surgical specialties, the microsurgery done in neurosurgery, was very attractive. And I, I like that, too. But uh, the lifestyle was kind of difficult in neurosurgery. So uh, between a couple of the surgical specialties, I tended towards ophthalmology uh, for a number of reasons. And then once I was a resident, I thought vitreoretinal retinal was the most challenging mm-hmm. and the most exciting. And, and what and this has turned out to be true now, twenty some years later. The one that had the greatest uh, horizon for improved patient care. There was a vast array of diseases that were still untreatable, but we were getting close. So I went into retina, uh, based on that. Once I was already an ophthalmology resident. I guess
0: it's worked out. I guess you yeah. made a good decision. Thank you. So you're busy. You have a busy practice yeah. in LA, and yet you decided oh, you need more to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I decided more than I was recruited, but we have a, a busy practice.
1: Yes, it's called uh, Retina Vitreous Associates. I've been there for about 15 years, which is two-thirds of my career thus far, and I plan to stay there forever. It's a great group uh, of, of retina surgeons uh, in my opinion, one of the best, and I think uh, people like our group, and we are very heavily involved in clinical trials, so some of the genesis of what is coming about in this stage in my career mm-hmm. is that uh, we are a high participant in clinical trials. Our group, particularly our, our lead uh, senior physician, Dr. Boyer, who was in uh, on the panels here today, uh, helped to design clinical trials. We, we were involved on that end a lot, and I've actually liked that, and I started to see what uh, goes on behind the scenes in the industrial, industry, commercial side of developing treatments uh, through the clinical trials, and um, to get to your original question, uh, I did I need something more to do. <laughs> Uh, definitely my wife would say no <laughs> I, I would say maybe i am kind of a high energy uh, person that's what my friends would say but i was pitched this idea of uh, excite what at the time called excite capital now we're called excite ventures uh by my friend and great colleague uh michael nissen who's a retina surgeon in new york city and he and uh a couple of his patients who uh were in the business world on wall street uh venture capitalists themselves to uh, at least that's how i would describe them they might give a different financial term for it um uh, both of which had significant eye problems that he had uh, known about and and through discussions between the three of them the the genesis was it would be a uh, a do gooder impact uh, VC, not one that you would refer to as a vulture capital, like that. Some some euphemisms have come about, but to try to do some good. And uh, Michael was uh, generous enough to call me, and he flew out to LA actually to meet with me to invite me to uh, be a founding partner with him in the firm. And uh, it took a lot of thought about time. Mm-hmm to decide to do it, and um, I made the commitment to do it after having a lengthy discussion and thinking about it for a couple of weeks with my wife, because I knew there would be more time away, potentially. But it it hasn't really
0: panned out that way. Mostly I work out of L.A. Well, there's always the, the suggestion that there are physicians that leave practice to join industry, because they say one of the reasons is that they feel like they can help more patients that way by developing a therapeutic that helps thousands as opposed to treats hundreds. Do you get that sort of sense from Excite? And let's t- talk about what Excite is. It, it's a, Excite Ventures. It's obviously an investment firm. Yeah. But but how is it structured? Is it a, a venture capital It's fund? a venture
1: capital firm. Um, and it, and it, there's seven of us who are members. And uh, it, it, we, we raise money from investors. We can talk about who they are if, if you would like to. Sure. Let's get into that. The, the investors thus far in the fund, we've, we've had one fund that we're operating mm-hmm. right now. Um, under management, and the the spectrum of investors have been um, ophthalmologists make up a substantial uh, percentage of the investors, and high net worth individuals, some of which just like the investment idea of an impact investment mm-hmm. that is uh, to help and to return on investment, hopefully, but to also help society. And then some who are high net worth who invested, I think, specifically because of their connection to ophthalmology based on their own personal history of eye disease or a family member who has eye disease. And so those folks, usually we are going through and pitching the idea to their money manager, uh, so-called family office. And I would say between those three groups is the majority of the funds we raised. Our own money also is Mm -hmm. in the VC fund, and we're in the process of deploying it. We've made a few investments already, and we feel really good about them. Our first investment did well, and and we had an exit. And um, we plan towards the end of this year to go out and raise our next fund, which we will hope to be larger and be more impactful, actually, to be able to potentially invest into later rounds uh, where larger capital is required. How large is this first fund? About $3 million under uh, management right now uh, from the first fund. So it's small by comparison to some of the folks you'll see here. Uh, but it's uh, what I have found, and this has all been new to me since 2014, honestly. Uh, what I found is you can do a lot with that amount of money, a lot. Uh, we've, if, you're, if you're really selective and do the diligence at a high level on where to put the money, where to deploy it, uh, you can have a high success rate both for your investors on a financial side and for the ophthalmic community on a development of good product side. Mm-hmm. And I think we've seen that already, and we're starting to see it more with some of our more recent investments. And um, our our original goal was to raise more, but the, and I'll be honest, uh, completely with you, all cards on the table, it was very difficult because to get to, say, the next level, to raise, say, $25 to $50 million to 50000000 dollars for a venture fund, you need to speak to and pitch to in- institutional investors, and uh, they're great. We we did, and we received a lot of excellent responses and and uh, positive feedback. But truthfully, it would often end with we just can't do it with a, a company that has no track record. Mm-hmm. It's they have their jobs on the line too, and they're sure. investing for a big, uh, huge uh, bank and uh, they need to be able to justify. So our plan would be now that we have developed a track record, and, a, and I think a very good one, that on our next fund, we would like to try to bring in some institutional investors who can bring the larger amounts of capital uh, to bear for us. And that's our hope within the next 6 to 12 months.
0: And how are you sourcing and reviewing deals?
1: Deal sourcing has, uh, has not been... Difficult uh, th- getting the deals uh, to 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 come to us, and I would say the first answer is probably one of the reasons that I was brought into this, maybe inadvertently. I, I think I was brought into this based on a personal relationship with Dr. Nissen, who I admittedly was it was his brainchild with his uh, two patients who are with one patient who are partners now in this firm. I think what um, what I have brought myself. Uh, <laughs> Principally, at least in the early stages, was because of my uh, clinical trials experience uh, around the country. Uh, it turns out I have a ton of contacts in this. I didn't really realize that You just, they're friends and you associate and you see them at meetings and shoot the breeze. And it turns out there are a lot of people that I have come in contact with over my career on a positive, friendly basis, sometimes working together, sometimes just collegiality, uh, who are the innovators in our Field, who are the innovators in our in our field, and they um, they've received us very well. Not just because of the personal relationship, that's part of it, mm-hmm. but also the group itself. Um, is not, again, this kind of vulture capital. Uh, a lot of times the innovators and the entrepreneurs are resistant to bringing venture capital in, especially early on, because they don't want them to, so, so to speak, take over the project. Sure. And then move away from what the entrepreneur wanted in the first place. And that does happen. And sometimes it's for good reason. Um, because of our connection to ophthalmology and the fact that I'm still a full-time vitreoretinal surgeon and attend all the meetings and, and coordinate with these guys on clinical projects and trials, uh, I think there's a trust factor. And so the deals have been coming, uh, to come back to your answer, uh, they've been coming fairly freely through all of us, but I, I've been able to see a number just through personal contacts in the eye business. And how are you reviewing those deals? That's a complicated answer, and I I definitely uh, rely immensely on the investment professionals and lawyers in the group. Uh, Obviously, as a physician, I have a certain skill set and definitely don't have a skill set that they have. But between us, the process is basically nuts and bolts. Um, We'll ask the uh, entrepreneur or innovator to send us a slide deck. Mm -hmm. They'll usually contact us in one way or another. We usually get contacted by someone who says, hey, I have this idea, or I have a friend who would like to pitch you guys this idea. Sure. We'll ask him for a slide deck. We'll uh, review it uh, very carefully, uh, first initially on the science, on the merits of the actual idea. And uh, and then we'll usually um, do some background research in that area, if it's not one that, say, falls into minor Dr. Nissen's expertise, if it's not in the retina or the vitreous, if it's, say, glaucoma or cornea, we will go and do our legwork to learn more about those areas because we're not practicing in those areas, but we're both trained ophthalmologists. And then we might, for the science aspect, then consult with some of our friends who are either advisors or just curbside. And at the same time, then our, our financial folks are breaking down where the company is in their financial status, what their plan looks like financially, what stage they're mm-hmm. in financially, what their needs might be, and how that fits with our investment profile. And once we get a little bit of all that put together and meet together, a few times maybe, then we would, ha- or once, we would have a call uh, with the group to sort out their needs and wishes more directly and develop some personal relationship. And uh, usually it goes from there. There may be several calls. Then after that, sure. And then uh, either the diligence results in us saying this is awesome, we got to move forward, or it may not be the right fit for us.
0: This may be hard to know, but do you think you look at deals differently than venture firms that aren't led by ophthalmologists? Yes,
1: I think we do. I. I it is hard to know because I. Th- I have the experience of one exactly. And yep. so I appreciate uh, you're asking me and. Uh, I would say, yes, I do think so. And I'll I'll take devices as an example. Um, We didn't have a chance to talk about this on the panel, but it it was something that um, I think about with devices all the time. So with drugs, you know, there's efficacy and safety and you prove it. And kind of anyone even associated with biotech can understand that. But devices, and drugs too, to some extent, but with devices, uh, understanding how ophthalmology clinic flows work, especially if you're in a high-volume situation like myself and and our group and Michael, uh, knowing how the OR works, knowing the flow, knowing the financial parameters in owning your own large medical practice and what the parameters are that lead you to use a product or not use a product, is a real advantage that's very hard to teach someone or just get from a consultant. It's very difficult because there's subtleties there. And, you know, the example is uh, if you're buying a big device and it's very expensive, knowing what acquisition fee equates to what reimbursement schedule Mm -hmm. equates to being profitable and useful and then knowing where it fits into the cycle of how the patient cycles through the clinic or through the OR and is this really going to be an efficient usable device marketable device even if it's proven efficacious and safe will it be usable to a real ophthalmologist in real time so long story short yes I think there's a little advantage to being an, an active participant in clinical practice. I am an owner in a fairly large practice with many doctors. And although it's just posterior segment, not all of ophthalmology, we, uh, we run similarly to what a general ophthalmology practice might run.
0: And you spoke of your, your track record. What successes have you had? You've had at least one exit, right?
1: One exit with our first investment was, uh, was a successful exit. It was called Retrosense Therapeutics. I saw them on a slide here today in the, uh, in the slide that showed uh, the various exits that were positive. And um, we actually, actually felt good. That felt really good. Yeah. And I, honestly, it was a small investment. relatively speaking, but uh, it felt good to all of us. Honestly, uh, you can take this as, I mean this sincerely, it felt good to validate our process much more so than the actual um, financial uh, reward, which obviously there was some. Mm -hmm. But uh, I could tell from talking to all my partners initially and even for a while after that the real, Uh, Joy in it was it validated what we knew to be or what we felt to be a good process, a good, thoughtful, uh, deliberate diligence process, which we do kind of slowly and long. Uh, and it panned out uh, on our first one, and, and we received a lot of positive feedback on that uh, from the community at large. And I think that's one of the reasons I was asked to be part of the panel today. So I'm very appreciative. And we have uh, three other deployed investments out of this fund now, um, two of which are public information, and I could talk about if you like to. But we feel pretty strong about those as well. But they're not at exit stage yet. Sure. What are the two? So uh, one is a lens implant, uh, an accommodating lens. Uh, for, for the viewers who don't do cataract surgery, accommodating meaning the lens will alter its shape to adjust for far and near as opposed to, say, a multifocal lens, which has the focality already into the lens single shape with the you know, concentric rings, let's say, like, a, like an eyeglass lens that's multifocal. Accommodation is the actual mimicking of... The human lens that adjusts and shifts its uh, thickness and size to, uh, to, uh, focus far, near or intermediate. And a camera sort of does this. The eye does it automatically. Uh, that company is called LensGen. Mm-hmm. And we feel very strongly about that company. And, uh, they recently, uh, had some, uh, excellent news. Uh, uh, and so we feel good about that. And the other one that I can speak about, uh, freely here is, uh, Trefoil. It was mentioned on the podium today when we did our, our uh, our panel because hatteras uh uh the company that was also on the panel mm-hmm. uh, with me with us uh were investors in that and that's a corneal treatment company they're uh figuring out ways or have figured out ways to improve the health of endothelial cells maybe even repopulate the endothelial cells. That would be a great goal, and it is the goal, to treat Fuchs dystrophy and some other uh, corneal diseases, and we're pretty excited about that one, too.
0: Terrific. And final question. What What is the most challenging part of running this firm? What, what yeah. gives you the most trouble?
1: Two things. I'll speak for the firm first, and then for me individually. Sure. For the firm, I think uh, since it's a first-time firm, and it's it's pretty hard to organically, I've learned, build a an investment firm out of nothing and go to someone who handles large amounts of money and say, give us your money (laughs) so that we can invest it for you. That's a, that's a hard thing to ask. And we've, we're good at asking. And uh, I think the challenge of raising large amounts of money for a small new firm is, is a difficult one, but we're starting to get past that now with some of our successes. And that has helped. And then for me personally, although it's been a lot of fun and I I love it, um, I have to make the time uh, because I do run a full-time practice, which is a, would be considered a very busy practice, even within my own network of specialists, so finding the time to do the the work, and I have been able to do that uh, so far, and I I think we're getting so streamlined that now it's gotten easier to Mm -hmm. fit
0: it in with the other duties that I have. Great. Good luck with investing whatever is left in this fund and, and best of luck with the second fund if you decide to go forward with it.
1: Thank you very much. And I really appreciate you inviting me to do the podcast and to uh, be on the panel. Thanks Pleasure. a lot. I've been watching your podcasts or listening to them. <laughs> As I told you in the email, they're excellent. Really. They're really good. Appreciate
0: that. Thanks thank so you. Much. And that's a wrap, folks. Thank you for us for joining us at OIS at ASRS. And it's great to have you on the podcast. And thank you again for the kind words. Thanks, Santin, for uh, supporting the podcast. It's great to have you as a sponsor. And, of course, last but definitely not least, thank you, OIS Podcast listeners, for joining us. I do hope you'll take advantage of the discount rate. Go to ois.net to sign up to attend OIS at AAO, which is, again, happening on November 9th in New Orleans. You don't want to miss it. But in addition to doing that, you should also, of course, tell your friends about the podcast. We'd love to have more people listening. Do give us a ranking on iTunes. It helps people find the podcast. And finally, do shoot me an email to say hello. My email is tom at healthogy.com. That is the word health, followed by the letters E-G-Y.com. Healthegy is the producer of the OIS podcast and the OIS events. Well, that's a wrap, everyone. We'll tune in next week for another tale of innovation. And don't forget to go to ois.net to sign up for OIS at AAO. And we will see you in New Orleans.